So anyone here happy today? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I'm feeling pretty happy as well. Um, I'm excited. Megan and I have finally found a place to live. We're going to live in Waterdown. So really thankful for that. Um, I was hearing Eric's prayer, and I was thinking the exact same thing, like, God, you just blessed us beyond what we can ever have asked for. So thank you. Thank you to LT for being patient and for everyone here. It's, it's good to finally be close. We're really excited. Um, and I love it in our house because we have a nice backyard, but after their backyard, there's a giant field that goes on forever. And I'm really excited about that field. Just taking walks in it. A little bit nervous about this whole tick thing. <laughs> but I'm also realizing that there's, a, there's even maybe an even bigger danger that lurks in the grasses in the fields. They seem so friendly and nice. Little cute little grasshoppers. You seen those? I remember as a kid catching them and holding my hands. Try to do that for my kids. I get scared of them. They barely understand the inherent menace that's inside them. Did you know that grasshoppers, this nice little picture of a grasshopper here, can turn into one of the most deadliest forces that can ever face mankind? What happens is, if they're alone and kind of living on their own, a certain number of people per square mile, people, grasshoppers per square mile, they're doing okay. They kind of live by themselves, eat their grass. But what starts happening is they start to get closer and closer together because there's more and more of them. They have less space to kind of be on their own. Eventually, they start rubbing their legs against each other, and then some serotonin starts getting released. And then these sweet little grasshoppers start to turn into a creature called the locust. And we have two pictures here. One is the, the solitary locust, and this is the gregarious locust, which sounds nice. The gregarious. They get along, and they're all excited and happy and nice with each other. When they're gregarious with each other, they're not too gregarious with us. As they start to connect, they start to grow into bigger groups, they start calling these outbreaks. So these little outbreaks of, of locusts. They start changing. They actually physically change. They turn different colors. They start to be able to eat much more than they ever were as grasshoppers. They start to be able to reproduce quicker as well. Actual physiological changes start to happen to them. And as they start to change and turn into these little outbreaks, then those outbreaks come together and they're called upsurges. And if you have a few upsurges come together, the actual technical name for them is plagues. They become plagues. You can see the swarming that happens, and they can come in and just decimate anything, destroying entire crops. They've been known to take down entire economies. Not only, by the way, in the, the far ancient times. They've taken down economies in the 20th century. They've even attacked in America. And these plagues are able to decimate and destroy anything. And what we have in the Minor Prophets is a prediction that the grasshoppers from the Sudan are going to become a plague and come up to Israel and destroy. Let me read from the, the prophet Joel. He has a, a word, and it begins like this. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children. Let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation what the locust swarm has left. 
the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, you drinkers of wine. Wail because the new wine. For it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded the land. A mighty army without number. It has teeth of a lion and the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and it's ruined my fig trees. It's stripped off their bark. It's thrown it away, leaving the branches white. Mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the betrothed of her youth. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. The fields are ruined. The ground is dried up. The grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up. And the olive oil fails. Spare you farmers, will you growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up. The fig is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the people's joy is withered away. Still happy? It's very interesting when you read this passage. This is the prophet Joel. By the way, we don't know exactly when Joel lived. There's different estimates. He might have lived before the exile. He might have lived after the exile. We don't know exactly. And I think that's kind of important because all we know is that the prophet Joel predicted a locust plague and that that happened and that we kept the book because of that. And Joel predicted the, the locust plague not because he had some great meteorological insight He understood the way that God worked. And this is what the minor prophets all do. What they all ask of the people of Israel is to be loyal to their covenant with God. God had made a deal with them. He made a covenant with them. And he promised them, if they were loyal, they would get grain, new wine, and oil. And if they weren't, it would spoil. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 7.13, just to get this clear. He will love you and he will bless you and increase your numbers. He'll bless the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, your grain, new wine, and oil. The calves of your herd and the lambs of your flock and the land he swore his ancestors to give to you. Again in Deuteronomy 11, 13. So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today, to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring, so that you may gather your grain, your new wine, and your oil. When I was in Bible college, I was given a, a directive. We would go through, we have to read the entire Bible, which you probably should do when you're trying to become a pastor. And they made us go through the Old Testament and underline all the places where you saw grain, new wine, and oil, paralleled like that. And it is all through the Minor Prophets. And there's a reason. It's because God promised them if they were loyal to the covenant, they would get grain, new wine, and oil. But if they did not heed the Lord, it says in Deuteronomy 11.6, be careful or you'll be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you. He will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain. The ground will yield no produce. 
You'll soon perish from the good land the Lord has given you. If you don't listen to God, Israel, it's going to be a nightmare. In Deuteronomy 28, 38, we start to see the exact extent of this. You will sow much seed in the field, but you will harvest little because the locusts will devour it. You'll plant vineyards and cultivate them, but you won't drink wine or gather the grapes because the worms will eat them. You'll have olive trees through your bounty, but you will not use the oil because olive will just fall off. Swarms of locusts will take over all your trees and the drops of your land. All these curses will come on you. They'll pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the Lord your God and observe the commands and decrees he gave you. It's a very interesting world that the Israelite nation lived in together. They had been promised by God, if you obey my covenant, you will be blessed with grain, new wine, and oil. If you break my covenant, you will be cursed with no grain, new wine, or oil. It's very clear. So the prophets could look around and see them and say, hey, is, is Israel obeying God? And Joel looked around and said, no. And so the Lord put on his heart, the locusts are coming. The locusts are coming. And so he spoke to this. He could see it. You know what happens? I think sometimes the Lord's blessings can sometimes turn into like a curse, right? The affluence curse. You start to get so affluent, you start to feel so comfortable that you forget God. And that's what happened in Israel. They forgot. And what Joel's trying to say is wake up. Remember. Remember God. He's calling them to be loyal to the covenant. And so he says to them, here's, here's what I want you to do. Put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, spend the night in the sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and the drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summer, the, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of your Lord, your God. Cry out to the Lord. Alas, for the day, the day of the Lord is near, and it will come like destruction from the Almighty. Now, the people of Israel hoped for the day of the Lord. It was a word that they used all the time, the day of Yahweh. They were excited for the day of the Lord. But Amos and Joel and a few others start to tell them, listen, the day of the Lord isn't what you're going to think. You better be careful. If you're not ready, the day of the Lord will come like destruction. So repent, lament. He actually tells them to, to be careful of the day of the Lord. This day of the Lord, it says in Joel 2.1, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and blackness. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? Imagine hearing this message. What are we going to do? The day of the Lord is coming. And I love this passage that Joel gives us in, in chapter 2. He starts to explain, how do you respond to all this? Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, 
He is slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings, and drink offerings to the Lord your God. Do you see what Joel starts telling them? He's telling them, the Lord is coming. He's going to call you on your covenant. But if you change your heart, your God is a God of justice, yes, but he is a God of mercy and love and compassion. And he could even turn this locust swarm away. He calls his people, you are going to be called on your collective sin, but I have great things for you. And so you start to wonder, like, okay, God, if you're so merciful and mighty, why does the locust hit? The locust hits because of the covenant. But I love the passage here. He's giving this message of warning, this message of judgment, but he spends so much time talking about the mercy of God. He starts talking about things. You start to recognize that God isn't just doing this in order to, to crush them and hurt them. He wants them to get into a right relationship with him so he can bless them. Read uh, Joel 2.18 with me. There's three responses God said he's going to give at the end of all this. The first one is he promises grain, new wine, and oil. And then the Lord was jealous for his land, and he took pity on his people. The Lord, Lord replied to him, I'm sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. There's this promise that God is going to reverse the curse. That he will bless them again. There is mercy. There is love. Don't be afraid. He hasn't changed his heart towards you. Do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. God has done great things. So the first response God is going to give is he's going to return the grain, new wine, and oil. But that's not enough. Because then they're going to go back to the cycle, oh, and then if we bat again, we're going to get smacked again. This covenant we have of, of if I do the right thing, I get blessings. If I do the wrong thing, I, I don't. God says, listen, something new is coming. There is a hope that you need to wait for. It's not going to always be locust or not locust. He says, I'm going to pour out my spirit. That's the second response. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and on women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance. As the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. 
you see this picture of the mercy of God? He's giving a warning. Locusts are coming. And even now he's saying, but don't worry. My spirit is coming. It'll be even better. It'll be even stronger. When my spirit drops on your people, they will be filled with knowledge of God, the love of God. They're going to be able to, be able to speak words of prophecy. They're going to be given visions and be able to see the world as it actually is, as God wants it. He's saying, listen, I'm working towards something. I'm bringing the locusts, but I'm going towards something. And this is going to be a total new game. The covenant is not going to be any more about you do this and you get this. It's going to be about you will receive a spirit. You'll be indwelt with God himself. So even as the locust plague is coming, he's giving this hope. He's showing them that there's this mercy that's coming. In fact, we know that the Apostle Peter says that when the Spirit falls in Acts 2, upon the church after Jesus has left and they've waited, the Spirit falls. He says, this is the fulfillment of Joel 2. Now you're seeing your young and old men prophesying. Now you're seeing your women and your children seeing the visions. And we, church, are directly the inheritance of this prophecy. We no longer live in the era of covenant locusts. We live in the era of a covenant with God in our hearts and a spirit that's fallen upon us. The Holy Spirit of God is within anyone who has claimed Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? The potential that lives within our hearts and with us here, this collective people. Not only that, what's really interesting to me in the book of Joel is that we're promised that anyone who calls name Lord will be saved. Anyone. It's not just Israel now. Joel's prophesying someday anyone who calls out to God is going to be saved. And Apostle Paul tells us that this passage in Joel is fulfilled when we see the Hebrews and the Greeks together filled with the Spirit of God which is really extra powerful to me because one of the, the things that he's really upset about with the nations, he's going to judge the nations in a second, we'll see. The things he's upset about is they were selling the Hebrews to the Greeks. The Greeks are taking in Hebrew slaves at this time. Isn't it amazing the fulfillment of Joel is the coming together of the Hebrews and the Greeks in the spirit? And this is the third response, and I want to make it very clear. God doesn't let go of his justice just because of his mercy. There's still justice. There's still going to be wickedness out there that God needs to call out. And so he says he's going to judge the nations. In those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I'll put them on trial. For what they did to my inheritance, my people Israel, because they scattered my people among the nations. They divided up my land. They cast lots for my people. They traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine to drink. It seems on later, it's like, great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Justice is still coming. When you see the, the evil that takes place on earth, there, there is a justice coming. God's not just kind of said, there's not anything I, I need to do here. So when we see the wickedness, I don't know about you, sometimes my heart breaks and I see like the, the vile evil that people are capable of, what they do with children, like these things that they're talking about, trading boys for prostitutes and selling girls. For, this is happening. 
And God says, I'm going I'm to judge this someday. And so the day of the Lord is this double-edged sword, isn't it? There is this idea that there's going to be mercy upon the repentant. And there's going to be justice on the unjust. How do we hold this? I don't know about you. When you hear this, one of the first things I go to and in my mode is just a default. Maybe it's a human condition. I, don't, I know the church is always preaching against this, but yet somehow it's hard not to hold on to. I start thinking, oh no, the little, lo- the little sins of my life, the little grasshopper sins of my life are starting to rub together. And they're growing into a little locust swarm. And soon they're going to overtake me. God's going to punish me. Do you, do you feel that sometimes? Like he's going to smite me. He wants, he's going to crush me. He wants to crush me because I am vile. I am reviled. And we start to look at Joel and we're like, oh no. Yeah, he's going to get me. Like the, the locusts are going to come out of my backyard field. They're going to come into my house. They're going to wipe my whole, all my kitchen pantry out and everything. It's going to be... It feels like that sometimes. It's like, I deserve it. I'm not good enough for God. And we do this all the time. We look, at, we look at more of the sins in our lives. We're always focusing on them. And it's not because it's unimportant. I want to put this out. I do think God disciplines his people. It says it in Hebrews. There's, there's ways in which he takes uh, our sin and he kind of corrects us along the way. But too often we think of God as up there with a big bat. He just wants to smash us at any moment. Just get on. Oh, this will be a good one. Boom. Right? And we even think this, like, uh, this is kind of how it, we, sh- we deserve it. And we do. But God's not about you getting what you deserve anymore. There's a, there's a new covenant. He's not operating. He doesn't want to crush you. He doesn't want to locust you. One of the things we have to realize is what's going on in Joel is a collective thing. There, it's, it's not a personal thing. This is the nation of Israel as a group are to follow this covenant as a group. And if they don't, they get the locusts. And if they do, they get the grain and wine and oil. So it's a, it's a deal. The reason is he wants to start up a people. He wants to have a people group who can eventually be formed so that they can eventually produce Jesus who can then wipe out all of this fear of smiting. And so the, the covenant that we're under isn't this locust plague attack because you have this thing that you're still working on. Now, he might prune that, and there might be some discipline. It might be a little powerful, but he's not just crushing you because of it. I remember in, in Scripture where Jesus is talking about this, this person who was born blind. He says, well, whose sin is it? Is it his or is it his parents? And Jesus is very clear. It's not about their sin. It's not about their personal sin. And he heals them. He brings mercy and justice to that situation. And he's trying to show us there is a new covenant. And so I just want to appeal to you. Do not let that picture come back in. Do not let the picture of the God who's trying to crush you come in. I know you might be dealing with some things in your life that are sinful and there's things that are hurtful. And you've got to deal with them. You need to repent of them. You keep returning them to God. But you need to let God be the God of mercy and love over you first and foremost. You need to let God forgive you. You need to accept that he is not there to hurt you. In your heart for real. Not just like, oh, I believe in the mercy. You know what I'm saying? 
Do you believe that the Holy Spirit of God resides in his people? Do you believe that, that he has filled us and given us gifts? That he has given us a power? What happens if we let our children wake up and have new dreams? What happens if those amongst us who have been here for a long time allow God to give us vision and, and keep going? Imagine what God is doing with us as we allow that word of the Lord to rest upon us. It says in Joel 3, 16, the Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The ends and the heavens will travel, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. Is God your refuge? Are you able to, to go to him and know and he's going to trust and wrap his arms around you and hold you, not squeeze the life out of you, but hold you and pour his life into you, pour his spirit into you? And that day the mountains will drip with new wine. The hills will flow with milk. The ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house. It will water the valley of the chaos. God is doing this now, even now. Our God promises grain, new wine, and oil, not pain, a few fines, and boils. Right? Claim the mercy of God. Drink the wine of God. Realize that in Jesus Christ, the promise of Joel is here. It's already here. And yet it's coming still. He's poured his spirit on you. You're not judged, but you're living up to the covenant. The sacrifice of Christ has covered over all your sin, and you are accepted anew and loved, beloved. He wants to nurture you and grow you. Now, don't deliberately grieve the spirit and just, you know, be okay with sin. That's only going to harm you. But you don't have to have a constant fear that God's going to strike you down with horrible plagues. We have a God who loves us. Receive that love. Expect that hope. Expect that joy and that peace. For us, the day of the Lord is a day of justice. Yes, but also great mercy. Be freed from your fear of locusts. Let Jesus be your focus. We wait for God's return and, and to make all things right. But even now, we're, we wait and we will see again the grain of heaven. Let us devour the divine wine. Because even though we're not always loyal, we're thankful that he's anointed us with the Holy Spirit's oil. Let's pray. Lord, we, we stand before you, the people of God, the prophesied people of God upon whom you've poured out your spirit. And we stand before the grain offering, the offering of the new wine, which is the body and the blood of Christ. And so, Lord God, we ask that we would receive your blessings we would see the fruit of your new covenant. We would receive the grain, the new wine, the oil, the spirit. That we would receive this, Lord God, as a gift as it is. Gracious, given to us despite our sin because of the sacrifice of Christ who now covers all of our sin. We pray anyone here who doesn't know that freedom, that release, would they come to you, Lord God? Would they receive your son, Jesus Christ? Would they receive his promise of the freedom of the fear 
And let that be replaced with a, a genuine fear, which is a respect for you, a fear to understand that you are a God of mercy who wants to bless us. And so, Lord God, let us consume the grain. Let us consume the juice as an offering of Jesus Christ's own body, who, when he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, this is the new grain offering. And he took the cup and he poured out, saying, this is my blood poured out for you. This is a new covenant between God and humanity where the mercy of God is paramount. Let us receive that, not just in word, Lord God, but in our hearts. Let us know this to be true. Let us know the peace and the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Amen.